Hello and welcome to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by WhoScored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, on this miserable Thursday morning, joined by Ben from WhoScored, and we've got Jonathan Wilson, as always, as well. We'll start with you, Ben. You've got to do the Champions League Team of the Week. You're very, very upset about the Champions League, but I'll let you do the Team of the Week before I ask you what I want to ask you. Yeah, before we get into the, the bad stuff, we've got uh, Kepper and Goal, back for James, Upamakano, Delicte Davies, and a midfield of João Mario, Kimmich, Rafa, and Musiala. And up front, you've got Kai Havertz and Goncalo Ramos. Ramos earned a perfect 10, and he's actually the first, fifth player to receive a who's called 10 rating in a Champions League match this season after Lewandowski and Dembele against Victoria Pilsen and Messi and Mbappe against Maccabi Haifa. Okay, Jonathan, that team full of Bayern Munich players. But actually, watching them last night, I know they won relatively comfortably in the end. They didn't look like Champions League winners to me. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if it's uh, the World Cup or what, but I just don't think there's any good teams about at the minute. No, no, really good teams. Um, I mean, Napoli obviously are playing brilliantly, um, despite their the defeat at the weekend. Um, and, and maybe they're the, the best team in Europe at the moment. But the fact that they've never been in the quarterfinal before, I mean, we're assuming they'll, they'll get through against Antwerp Frankfurt next week. Maybe they're the favourites. I don't know. I mean, is this the year that City win it almost by default? Because they they are decent without being anything like the level they've, they've been at in the past. Um, Real Madrid are, are very, very fallible. But yeah, I, I thought that Bayern PSG game, and Bayern were, were much, much better than PSG, but it wasn't a high-quality game. I mean, yeah, they're in the quarterfinal. They're solid enough. Maybe they do sort of grind it through. But you look at how they're struggling domestically by, by, by their standards. Um, there's not much fluency or much spark there. Uh, I know they've got the injuries um, to, to to Mane and, and yeah, having Sol Lewandowski is, has reduced them. But, yeah, it's... It, it, neither of those two legs that I think was... a was a particularly high quality game. No, Champions League in knockouts, I'm used to it being high octane and, and electric. And I was just watched, sat there watching the Bayern game last night and it just wasn't. But then I watched the last 15, 10, 15 minutes of each half of the Tottenham game, Ben. And let me tell you, those two teams were electric <laughs> compared to Spurs. You'd never have known that Spurs just needed one goal to stay in that tie, even with 10 men. They just looked like they weren't interested. It was really, really strange. Right. Uh, it's just, it's so miserable at Tottenham at the moment. All the fans are just, there's no real, dis, there's a real disconnect between the there's fans. There's no atmosphere the either. That was no. the, you know, the knockouts of the Champions League. The ground mm. was quiet. I mean, the loudest it was is when um, Kulisevsky got subbed off for Sanchez when Romero sent off and the fans booed at the decision, and rightly so. I mean, you're chasing the game. You need to get an equaliser to at least take it to extra time. And you take off an attacking player for Sanchez. Um Obviously, you don't want to be caught on the counter-attack, but you've got nothing to lose. And it was just a sub that kind of epitomised just how everything has gone to, you know, well, awfully under Conte recently. And, you know, he's got 12 games left in as Tottenham boss. Who knows if he'll see out those 12 games? Um, and it's just a real disappointing end to what many thought would be a promising era under Conte. Yeah, Jonathan, you kind of get the impression that this will be the last job Conte has in England. Probably, yeah. I mean, it's definitely reaching the end game with with Spurs. Um, there's a sense that he doesn't want to be there. The players don't want him to be there. The fans don't want him to be there. So the question then, I guess, is how you manage the succession. Is it worth sacking before the end of the season 
to try and just get a little bit of uplift and, and get in the top four, um, or remain in the top four, remarkably? Uh, or, or do you sort of think, well, yeah, he knows the squad, his professional pride will kick in and, and, and he will sort of drag them through? But, yeah, they're, 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 when they're so up and down to Tottenham, you, you think this is a team that did beat Manchester City what, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but, yeah, the recent performance have been desperately flat. Uh, I suppose you even look at the Wolves game and say the first half they were they were okay there, but the second half was so bad. And that's really been the problem for them all season. They can't put two good halves together. Uh, and then against Milan, there were no good halves. Yeah, you expect to see something from Spurs. You know, even though they had 10 men, just that one goal deficit, you've got you've got a chance to to stay in the tie and, and take it to extra time. There's, the substitution was absolutely bizarre. I think the commentator said that it epitomised what's going on at Tottenham at the moment and they still got caught on the break and anyway Ben so it was a it was a very very strange substitution but it certainly feels like end of days for Conte and, and Tottenham and it'll be interesting to see what they do in the summer and where they finish this Premier League season let's move on to the Premier League then and it's Fulham v Arsenal this weekend and we're going to start with a former Arsenal player although the player Jonathan that played for Arsenal is very different for the one that's playing for Fulham and played for Chelsea it's Willian up against one of his old teams and two of his top seven rated performances this season so far have come against his old team in Chelsea. So he's a player that Arsenal need to be wary of. Yeah, he's been brilliant this season. I, and I, I guess it's it's possible he plays on the right, not the left, uh, which he did uh, last week uh, with Solomon on the other side rather than uh, Bobby decaudeville Reed. Uh, but he can he can play either. But his link up with Robinson down the left, I think has been hugely impressive this season and a huge part of of Fulham's success, and it, it's—I I guess it's a lesson in, in why you shouldn't write players off after one bad season. You should, even a player in his thirties, he shouldn't think, "Ah, he's he's finished." Which is what you know. I, I certainly did with William after after his time at Arsenal. Uh, the fact that he was prepared to to cancel the contract suggests he thought it was over, but then he's gone back to Brazil. He's had a you know a restorative break, and he's. He's back and looks looks as good as ever, and and you know, good William is a, is a really really good player. Uh, yeah, his his days at Chelsea is is uh, is crossing his set play delivery is is running with the ball. Uh, you know, works hard, tracks the fullback. All of that is is excellent. He's still doing that. So yeah, he's been a. I was very skeptical about signing when it was made, but he's he's been excellent. Yeah, ben Fulham's recruitment kind of gone under the radar a little bit. It's a very mixed mixed in terms of the type of player that they've gone for. But you think of Leno coming in from Arsenal. He's been excellent. Paulinho, we've waxed lyrical about in this podcast many times. I, I think he's been the, the signing of the season. And then they picked Willian up as well. Fulham have actually done some really good business. Yeah, and you have to commend that, given how um, they, they went about their business the last two times they were promoted and were relegated straight away. They kind of felt like a scattergun approach. But they made that big signing in Paulinho, which has been... You know the main the main one for them the big one to improve their midfield and so few teams you know really did go all out to improve their midfield previously whereas look at it this in the last sort of 12 18 months uh newcastle brought in gamarish may United brought in casemiro tottenham to a lesser extent bought and bassoon and fulham signed paulinho so it, the teams are sort of realizing how important perhaps more so that position is uh recently rather than in previous years and you know, it feels like there's more of a plan in place for Fulham to not only stay up this season, but consolidate a Premier League spot for the future. Yeah, and a signing I didn't mention there, Jonathan, was Manor Solomon. 
can't stop scoring in the in the goals every week. He was scoring the same kind of goal every game, albeit on Monday against Brentford, it was a very different kind of goal, a, a poacher's finish reacting to the free kick. But again, another piece of what looks like good recruitment. Yeah, I, I, I still think he's very one-footed. That'd be my one criticism of him, but at the minute it doesn't seem to be mattering. It, it didn't matter for Ian Robin, who, who did a similar thing, of always cutting inside. So... Yeah, the, the fact he is so right-footed, I, I I think that might stop him going to the, the very highest level. But he's playing brilliantly at the minute. And, and you know, he, even if he only got one trick, if it's an effective trick, it doesn't really matter. Um, so I, I think defenders will pretty quickly learn to show him on the outside, and, and that's that'll be the real test of him. Can he deal with that? But but for now, he's he's proving incredibly effective. And I, you know, I guess people would have seen him at Shakhtar, would have wondered... Could he transfer that from Ukrainian league from from vacational good performance in the Champions League to to the Premier League? But but so far, he he absolutely has. Yeah, and he's been made an impact from the bench in in a few games. He's in the team now. But Jonathan, someone else who's made a huge impact from the bench last week, Reese Nelson. Scenes of jubilation in the 98th minute as he hammered home that that late late winner for Arsenal. Arsenal have got. A few injuries starting to stack up in that attacking area now. So having someone like Reese Nelson to call upon, who maybe at the start of the season the Arsenal fans had maybe written off, they'd be glad to have him. Definitely. I mean, he's he's one of those players who it feels like for almost a decade you've sort of heard about has been, oh, he's the really good kid coming through. And then for you know, injuries, one reason or another, it hasn't quite worked for him. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it's always great to see something like that. Yeah, actually, it's it clicking for them. Um, yeah, with with uh, Gabriel Jesus out, uh, Trossard out, and Kettner, I think it's only 50 50 for, for this game. So he probably will have to start. I guess it probably means Martinelli playing through the middle. Um, I mean, he, he did play a couple of games earlier in the season. It started to look like he yeah, he might have a role from the bench, but maybe his role is going to be going to be more than that. And I, I think there is a pattern uh, every now and again, you, you get a player. Who sort of comes in from a from a cold to, to have a decisive impact on the title race? You think of Makeda for Manchester United. You think of Christopher Rain for Arsenal back in ninety seven eight. Um, and you, I'd sort of wondered whether Nketiah might be that figure, particularly when he got that goal late on against Manchester United. But maybe it's going to be Reese Nelson. Uh, the, the the thing I worry about with Arsenal, I mean, it is partly depth of squad, obviously. But I and I, you know I know we said this before, but I do sort of feel they might have gone. You know, in, into a sort of running mode too early, um, and I'm not sure how how often you can get away with scoring 93rd, 97th minute winners against, with all respect to to Villa and Bournemouth, not the top teams in the league. Um, I wonder if they're burning through a lot of emotional energy, uh, and I, I think this will be tough for them. I, I think uh, if Fulham are decent, and I, I think Arsenal are not not quite the side they were early in the season. At the minute, the momentum's carrying them, but uh, you sort of feel like the cartoon characters run off a cliff and you're just sort of thinking, wow, they've got 12 games left. Are they going to look down at some point in that 12 games? And if they do, uh, there might be problems. Um, but it, it's it's why this has become, or is threatening to become, a really good good um, running. That, um, yeah, they are fallible. City are fallible. Manchester United, as we saw last Sunday, were very fallible. Um, so it, it's not that sort of processional nature that we've seen the last sort of couple of months of the season in, in, in recent seasons. It, uh, it it feels like it could be a lot more a lot more twists. Yeah, interesting game this one as well. Craven Cottage not 
an easy place to go and Fulham a very different beast when Paulini is in the team compared to when he's not and I believe he's back from suspension for this one Ben Zinchenko Paulini is not back he's not back <clears throat> no it's a two game ban I thought he had I thought he'd had his two games no he, oh um, no the FA, FA Cup doesn't count so he's suspended for oh, this one oh Joe Paulini I want to see him mm. again. I want to see him making slide tackles after 30 seconds and then having to walk a tightrope <laughs> for the rest of the game come on Joe Paulini and by the way Jonathan absolutely naughty knowledge talking about Christopher Ray unbelievable I forgotten he even existed before you just brought him up I'm just an old man I just remember 1998 much easier than last week yeah, I mean, I, I remember 97-98 very, very well, but I completely forgotten Christopher. Is, is he the greatest Liberian to play in the Premier League? He's the second best, isn't he? He's the second best. George, George played there. George Ware played, didn't he? Yeah, he didn't play very well so, in the Premier League, though, did he? No, but I remember watching him live against Villa for, for in a nil-nil game, Aston Villa against Chelsea back in the day as well. Exceptional. Love that bit of Premier League years from Jonathan Wilson. Zinchenko then, Ben. Jesus was probably the one that created a bit more foray when when they brought him in. But Zinchenko, I, I mean, I'm saying Paulini has been the signing of the season in the Premier League. There's an argument for Zinchenko being the, the signing of the season across the whole Premier League as well. And I think if Man City could turn back time, I'm not sure they'd sell him. Yeah, I mean, the fact they got, obviously, hindsight 2020. Um, if they knew they would get rid of Cancelo in January, they probably would have kept Zinchenko. But, I mean, Jesus was... Obviously, the priority signing for Arsenal, they lost to Bamiang uh, in January. And then Lacazette had left as well. So it left him just in Ketia, who obviously had that long-term deal. But that was more, he kind of felt that was more out of necessity, uh, just as more of a backup in case Jesus didn't sign. Um, but Zinchenko, I, I said uh, back in the summer, he was the signing I really liked for Arsenal. And that hasn't changed. Um he offers them that control down that left. He helps overload down the left flank. I mean, the fact that he ranks so highly for passes per 90, a metric usually dominated by centre-backs or ball-playing midfielders, um, says speaks volumes about his uh, dominance in that midfield, the influence he's had down that left flank. And, you know, without Jesus, Arsenal have muddled through. Admittedly, they were better with Jesus. He allowed Martinelli and Saka to flourish, but with Nketiah and Trossard prior to his injury, um, they were able to you know, get the results they needed. The performance levels did dip, but they got the results. Uh, with Sinchenko, they kind of they just lacked that. Uh, they lacked the control down that left, and I think if they if they do go on to win the Premier League, he will be probably, in my opinion, the most important player behind it. Yeah, he's been, he's been an incredible leader as, as well as Zinchenko. He's been really, really good for Arsenal. And I think not only because Man City are short of left-backs, but just because I think of the impact he's had on Arsenal as well. That's another reason why I think if they could turn back time, City may not let him go to Arsenal. What have you made of Burnt Leno? He obviously left Arsenal to go to Fulham, Jonathan. What, what have you made of him this season? Because he's been up there as one of the top performers in terms of goalkeeper, purely on the eye test. We'll come to the who scored stuff in a minute. But on the eye test, Leno's having a good season. Yeah, he's been very good. Uh, and again, I think, you know, it's, it's particularly goalkeepers, maybe it's very easy to remember a couple of high-profile mistakes and, and write them off. I think, yeah, you can say something similar for Fabianski that uh, until his injury, he'd had a pretty good season, a pretty good two seasons for West Ham. And I think he'd been written off a bit after his time at Arsenal. Um, so Leno, I, I, I sort of think, you know, he got that um, he got that injury at Brighton, didn't he, where he, he um, uh, was sort of in the air and, and, uh, and was sort of flipped over. Uh, and I, I think he's when he came back after that, his his form wasn't quite what it had been. But he, you know, he looks back to his best now. Whether he's you know a high level in Fulham, maybe not. But 
he's he's playing really really well for Fulham. Um, and you know, for goalkeepers, there are only sort of five or six really high level slots. So he's he's definitely in that tier, just just below that. And and yeah, maybe maybe could push back into that that level. But at the moment, I'd, I'd assume he's he's perfectly happy playing well at Fulham. Yeah, that was the injury, of course, at Brighton all those years ago that, that set off a trend that saw Argentina win the World Cup. Jonathan, I don't, don't know whether you know that. It was all because, because of it, that injury. Like I said, Martinez came in and... Yeah, everything um, everything just fell into place from there. He played for Arsenal, went to Villa, played first-team football every week, got in the Argentina team, won them the World Cup. Cheated in penalty shootouts and uh, the rest is history. Technically, didn't cheat, Jonathan. He'd be cheating if he'd cheating if he did it now, but it was wasn't cheating at that at the time of the penalty shootout. Um, ben, let's look at those the head to head then between Leno and Ramsdale. Who's coming out on top? So Ramsdale has kept more clean sheets with eleven to Leno seven, and has conceded fewer goals, twenty five to Leno thirty two. However, Leno has been the busier of two goalkeepers, averaging four point uh, four saves per ninety to Ramsdale two point three and does, does have one of the better save success rates in the Premier League at 74.4%. Uh, he hasn't committed an error leading to goal, leading to a goal, whereas one of the 25 Ramsdale has conceded has been directly due to an error. As such, Leno's who scored rating is 7.04, which is actually level with David David Rea uh, as the best in the Premier League, whereas Ramsdale's is much lower at 6.64. So I would assume then that Leno is in the combined 11, Ben? Correct. Go on and run me through it. <laughs> Uh, so we obviously have Leno in goal. Uh, it's a 4-3-3. So we've got Tete, Gabriel, Riemann, Zinchenko at the back. Midfield three of Erdegaard, Party, Xhaka. And then up front it's Saka, Mitrovic, Martinelli. And of course, we can't take that term seriously at all because Jao Paulini is not in there, Ben. Oh, is that because he's missing well, at the weekend? That's because he's he missing. Pick him. Would he have been in there if he wasn't missing at the weekend? He he would have been in place of Xhaka. Okay. So it would have been I a 4-2-3-1 with Erdegaard. I Okay. Jonathan, is that anywhere near the combined 11 that you've picked? It's not far off. I've basically gone Arsenal, but Mitrovic is centre forward. So yeah. ten Arsenal players, but that's just because I like units. You know, it's, I, I completely see why you want Tete, not White. But you know, White is used to playing in that back four. Uh, I can see that Reims had a good season, but I'd rather keep Saliba and Gabriel together. If Polini were available, then yeah, I definitely consider him in for Xhaka. But Xhaka and Partey and Odegaard have been a very, very good midfield. So. Um, I'm quite happy with my 4-3-3. And Mitrovic, I'm only picking because of injuries. I'd, I would have Gabriel Jesus. Where he, I'd probably have him ahead of, of uh, Nketiah, but were Gabriel Jesus fit, I would have Gabriel Jesus and have 11 Arsenal players. I'm going to do some combined 11s as well. I want I want to join in. If I left out the combo- combined 11s, and I just want I just want to have a go. So next week, I'm going to get involved and, and do them for the games that we do. Uh, predictions then. Jonathan, I'll come to you first. Fulham v Arsenal. Um, with no great confidence, Arsenal to win one nil, but I, I think this is a real test for them. I can see Fulham taking points off them. If, if Polinia were fit, then well, sorry, not with it, were available, then uh, I'd be very tempted to go for a draw. But I'm, I'm going Arsenal to win one nil. Yeah, the Paulinia factor, the Paulinia factor is massive. Um, so I think Arsenal will win two one. Ben, you yeah, agreed on the Paulinia factor too. So I think Arsenal win two one as well. Two one as well. This is of course the Lewis Bowen Morte derby. Let's move on then to Manchester United against Southampton. And Jonathan, you've touched on it. What on earth happened to Manchester United last week? I mean, very very strange. I think it's um, the, the one thing I'd say was sitting in the stadium. Although it was, it was obviously kind of a very odd 
uh, second half. It wasn't like when Germany beat Brazil in 2014. It wasn't a case of everybody sitting there with mouth and like, what, what is happening? What's going on? There wasn't a sense that the laws of football, everything we understood about the game being ripped up. Maybe that was because the collapse came second half, not first half. So, yeah, you, you weren't thinking, Christ, could this be 10, 12, 15 nil? Um, and I, I, I think maybe that's because we've we've got the memory of the 4-0 and the 5-0 last season that we sort of used to seeing Liverpool out playing United. So I think in that sense, it was just a reminder of, of what United were not that long ago. Um, I, th- I think more immediately, it was probably, and this is an explanation rather than an excuse, I think they were disgracefully bad second half, but I, I, I think the fact that they they have played so many games recently, the fact that they've they've had that sort of expenditure of emotional energy in, in beating Barcelona, which is probably the most significant game of the season so far, yeah, to, to, to play the team top in Spain and, and beat them much more comfortably than the 2-1 or 4-3 aggregate scoreline suggests. Um, to win the League Cup, to end that six-year six year drought. I mean, um, you and I would dream of a six-year drought, but you know, for, for United, six years is a long time without a trophy. Uh, to then have the, the FA Cup tie against West Ham, where they, they were behind but came back. Yeah, I can see all of those are wearying factors, so that when the dam bursts, it, it, it suddenly bursts. But still, the uh, yeah, when, when Ten Hag spoke of a lack of professionalism, that totally chimed with my sense of you, you can't switch off like that. You can't go, as Bruno Fernandes did, as, as Anthony did, you can't sort of shrug and, and, and stop tracking your man. And you know, Luke Shaw ended up having a terrible game. That was partly because he wasn't protected. Uh, and there was a little bit of a case of everything Liverpool hit went in. And they'd been on the reverse side of that, I think, in the 5-2 defeat to Real Madrid. I don't think that was as bad as, as people suggested at the time. Pretty much everything Real Madrid hit that day went in. I think Liverpool actually had more shots than Real Madrid that day. And here, I think there was a, uh, eight shots on target, seven of them went in. So it was... I know Gary Neville kept on using the word freakish, and I, I sort of want to avoid that word because I don't think it was entirely freakish. But it, it also was a was a 7-0 that, that sort of felt a bit more like a 4-0, uh, which is bad enough. But I, I, I think it probably was a more significant to Liverpool season than for Manchester United. I think United should be able to come back from it in some ways, although I think it, it ends any sense there might be in a title race. It, it might be a useful thing for clearing heads and, and sort of resetting and saying, look, there's no shortcuts here. We're not actually that good. We've got to go back to basics. We can't let things slip, even if we have had that success recently. Um, so, uh, you know, I, 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 and, you know, they, the thing Alex Ferguson always said, you know, Ferguson teams suffered some big defeats. You know, they, yeah. they, can, they lost, they can see five at Newcastle, six at Southampton, six at Manchester City. And Ferguson's thing was always, you can get over, you know, the, the important thing isn't so much for defeats, how you respond to it. And, and United this season, six league defeats and they've uh, five of those they won the next game so they haven't lost any of them 7-0 admittedly but I I, I think they'll yeah they they shouldn't be not too far of course and the fact they've got Southampton at home which is pretty much as easy as the Premier League gets at the minute uh, I think that I think they'll be fine Very kind of you not to include Ben in the in the six-year trophy drought comment that you made he'd kill for a six-year trophy drought. <laughs> you, should, you should be including him. I'm not, I'm not having that down to, to, to just me and you. Ben, Fernandez came under fire for his, well, not so much for his performance, although his performance wasn't great, more his attitude on Sunday. What of who scored come up with for, for his performance? 
So it was the third worst rated Premier League start of his career behind the Crystal Palace defeat on the final day of the Rangnick era uh, and behind uh, one of the three Man City ones in this uh, top 10. He had a who scored rating of 5.82, which, as said, was the third worst rate of his start. But in turn, the only time he has earned a perfect who scored 10 rating in a Premier League match from the start was at home against Saints. So take that how you will. Well, Jonathan, I thought the criticism after the game was a little bit strange because they lost 7-0, yes. That's not all on Bruno Fernandes. And also, behaving in the way he normally behaves on a football pitch, I don't think he did anything massively different to what he normally does. They just lost 7-0 and he was captain. I think it's a bit more than that. I, I think it's a pretty bad look when it was in the build-up to the seventh goal, sort of the phase before the phase that, that Liverpool got the seventh from. And uh, Bajcic went past him. And he was maybe a little bit unlucky. He was right underneath the press box. It was really obvious to all of us what had happened. The Bajcic went by him. And rather than chasing him, he, he just sort of turns away and shrugs and walks off. You, you can't be doing that. that. You can't be doing that. I did not say that. But... You can't be doing that whoever you are, but you certainly can't be doing that as captain. There was the instant where he sort of gave the linesman a little shove, which I don't think it's the worst crime in the world. I don't think it was sort of a re- It wasn't like Paolo Di Canio on, on Paul Olcock if we're going Premier League years. Oh, Jonathan, you are prime um, Premier League years today. <laughs> I'm pre-Premier League years, to be honest. I'm an 80s man. Uh, but at the same time, you, you shouldn't be going about touching match officials. And I think on another day, you might have gotten a bit of trouble for that. Um... And he had, yeah, right. He's, he's always had that petulant side to his personality. Um, Barney Mono made the point that he's got a petulant face, that he just looks like a whiny little kid. Um, and that probably doesn't help. Uh, and, and to an extent, you know, a lot of players are whiny little kids. Um, yeah, Jordan Henderson whines a lot. Um, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world, but Jordan Henderson's whining tends to be directed externally rather than internally. And when he's talking to his own team, it's, it's to G them up rather than to moan at them. So I mean, Ten Hag said this week that Fernandes will remain vice-captain. And obviously, because Harry Maguire's not playing, that means he's the captain. Um, and I, I guess that probably is the right thing to do. But he, he can't down tools by that again, I don't think. I think that's probably a final warning for him. Um, but he must know that as well. He must know that you can't, you can't behave like that. Uh, that you no. can't show that lack of professionalism. Uh, I mean, you know, it's it's only one step removed from walking off the pitch, getting your car and driving home. There's another Manchester United Portuguese superstar did earlier this season. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it, it was a reminder of the um, environmental issues, shall we say, that, that United have suffered recently, that they haven't entirely been extirpated. Yeah, that Portuguese player that you talk about has wore the armband this season as well. Feels like it was about 10 years ago, but he's wore the armband this season as well. The poison chalice of the Manchester United captain's armband. Ben Southampton, signs of life. And you actually think they've been a little bit unlucky this season in some respects. Yeah, I mean, you look at the last uh, nine Premier League games and eight have been decided by one goal. Um, admittedly, they won three of those uh, by a single goal when they beat uh, Everton, Chelsea and Leicester. Um, I mean, Leicester, they were lucky against Suta. I hit the crossbar really late on after Bazunu, uh, Bazunu sorry, uh, misjudged that cross into the box. I mean, since the Nathan Jones era ended... Uh, we we missed that. Southampton were far more entertaining yeah. than Nathan Jones was manager. This new guy does not say enough for my liking. Uh, he, he needs to do more. That's just, that's for sure. I mean, maybe we can get Nathan Jones out of the box. We can try and... Oh, please. Fix. That would be the dream. Um, and, 
you know, there, there are signs of recovery. They do look more compact. They, the, the signings that they made in January have done well. Uh, I do like Onoachu and Suleimana. I think there's a good big man, little man combination up there. They do, obviously, they look dead and buried for a, for a period, but two wins in three, they're now one point of, uh, of getting out of the relegation zone. And admittedly, this game probably comes at a bad time for them, but, you know, United coming off the back of a 7-0 defeat, there's as good a time as any to face them, you feel. Relegation battle's really hotting up. Jonathan, I know you said about Arsenal getting too geared up for, for the running early on in the show, but it is tight down there in that in that bottom half of the table. Yeah, is it is it nine teams within seven points at the bottom there? Yeah, um, it's kind of three leagues at the moment, isn't there? You've got the top ten. Villa in their own league in 11th. Villa just can't be anything but, but 11th this season. And, <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then the I, league I, underneath. I, I don't think so. I've been unlucky at all. I think they're awful. Um, so in the 10 games of the World Cup, they've had the better XG in one of them. So if you assume where the XG is within half a goal, that should be a draw. Uh, they should have the XGs yes, they should have picked up six points. They picked up twelve, so they're actually six points above where they should be. I think they're, they're by far the worst team in the Premier League. Um, I, I, and so the only game where they've had the better XG was against Wolves, where they lost. Um, so yeah, I, I know they have tightened up the last three games. Uh, the, the the last last two games, the XG was a was a draw. But, you know, they took three points in that rather than two. So even that, they're outperforming. So I've got very little faith in them at the moment. Jonathan's fall back at you there, there Ben. Have you got, you got a reply to that? No, that's me done. I'm actually leave now. <laughs> just just have a bit, a bit of Bruno Fernandes petulance from Ben there. Just, just, yeah, just, just, just accepting it. <laughs> that's it, I'm done. This is the kind of attitude the Spurs had last night, Ben, just not trying. And, and, and they're not out of the Champions League. You've not even tried to, to fight back. Uh, I'm too tired. I'm too tired okay. of Tottenham, too tired of everything. Too tired of life. We, we do record this podcast very yes. early on, on a Thursday. It, it, it is, <laughs> it is a, a tiring thing getting up early to do a podcast. Everyone's heart's bleeding here, I'm sure. Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, well, heart's really bleeding for you. What time are you up this morning? About five to eight, five minutes before the podcast. Yeah, so I, I've been up since quarter to five. Ben's been up since three, so, you know. Oh, uh, what was Ben <laughs> up to? What were you up till three? What were you up till three? Kids. Kids. Not, not crying yeah, about Tottenham. No, they're crying about scaring each other by mistake. Oh, okay. All right. I don't. Well, yeah. Okay. Apologies. Yeah. I, just don't, right. like, I don't like getting up in the morning. That's the, that's the main problem for me. <laughs> Jonathan James Ward Prowse, one short of the Premier League free kick record. But if Southampton do go down, where would you see him ending up? What's his, what's his level if he were to leave Southampton? Uh, it's probably in that sort of seventh to tenth bracket. Uh, I don't think he's quite, you know, a Manchester City player or a. Um, actually, maybe I'm overrating the likes of Tottenham. I, mean, I think he'd do a perfectly good job at Tottenham or even Arsenal. Uh, but I think he's more... Maybe Newcastle could bring him in. Um, mm. But he, you know, he's, he's not a Manchester City-Liverpool-style midfielder or, or perhaps quality midfielder. Um, but uh, you know, he, he's clearly leaving if, if Southampton go down. It'd be, it'd be absurd for him to play in the, in, in the championship. So I, I, I'm pretty sure he... he yeah, he will take that free kick record because I, I, you know, I think he will spend most of the rest of his career in the Premier League. So, yeah, I mean, the only issue is his age. How old is he? Twenty-seven. Twenty-eight. Yeah. 20. So, you know, he's 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 not a he's not a young player you bring in as part of the project, but he's, you know, he's clearly, yeah. I mean, not just a set plays, he's clearly a quality player. And and the thing is, he, you know, he can he can play deep in midfield as he tends to, but 
when he does play a slightly more advanced role, as he did, I think, away at Everton this season, he looks very dangerous doing that. So, uh, you know, he's a, he's a very versatile midfielder. So, yeah, yeah having initially said there that, that I thought he's probably a um, you know, one-tier off the top, I could see going at Arsenal actually do a really good job as a as, as a as cover for Odegaard or for Xhaka. Uh, you can do both of those roles. So you could, yeah, a squad player for a, a real top side or you know a regular for for a team one one below that, but certainly a high level in Southampton. I actually could see him at Liverpool. Their midfield needs a, needs a complete rebuild in the summer. I could see him coming in and maybe not being someone that starts every week, but being a very useful option for, for Liverpool in there. But yeah, I, I take your point though. I don't, I don't think he's an elite level midfielder, but he, he'd certainly get himself a, a big move. I, I would say. Well, do, just, the, only, did, the only reason I don't think he's stylistically right for City Liverpool. This, this might be that just we haven't seen it, but he hasn't really played in, in a, a properly hard pressing team. Uh, and that might be just yeah the nature of Southampton is that they don't press that hard. Uh, I suppose they did to an extent the Hasenhutl, but yeah, so, so yeah, maybe so maybe he could he could be a uh, sort of the the, the Milner replacement at Liverpool as the wise yeah. overhead. Milner slash Henderson. I, I was thinking, did he not? Play, did he play for Potch Southampton? Am I imagining that? Was he there then? Uh, possibly, yeah. Yeah, well, maybe. Hasenhutl did press, so yeah, he has done yeah. under Hasenhutl. To be fair. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Well, I, I think I think even if Southampton were to stay up, more prowess, it's probably time for a refresh, time, time for a change. He's been to Southampton a, a long time. I'd be interested to see him at a, a higher level. be interesting to see what happens with him in the summer. Let's finish this section with our predictions then. Ben, you can go first. Manchester United v Southampton. Yeah, so interestingly, um, five of May United's six defeats this season have been followed by a 2-1 win for United, which I don't think they'll win 2-1. I think they'll do better and win 3-0. I actually was going to predict 2-1 before you said that, so I'm definitely going to stick <laughs> with that now. Jonathan? 2-0 uh, to United. 2-0 to Manchester United. We'll finish then with the just a minute section. And before we do do that, Ben, I don't know whether you watched last week because you weren't on. I I asked for a league table of the, the predictions. Has any of the three of you that have been on the podcast in recent weeks provided me with that? Nope. Nope. Oh, answer. Sure answer. No, Bruno Fernandes, I'm off again. Absolute um, disgrace. Where, where I'm, I've made a judgment call and I'm doing an Eredivisie 2019-20 and I'm freezing it and Jonathan wins. So well done, Jonathan. <laughs> Jonathan, are you happy with that? Well, you, you, know, you, you take the victories where you get them and were Manchester City, Manchester City to be stripped of the 2014 Carabao Cup, I would happily accept that as... as uh, there's a Sunderland trophy, but it's not the way you want to win it, put it that way. I'm not, I'm not congratulating anyone. I think that's an absolute disgrace from from, from her score. <laughs> but yeah, we'll we'll do the just a minute section anyway. I mean, actually, I might I might not introduce it. I, I, I can't be bothered. I, what's, what's the point? I can't, I can't be bothered to introduce it. But I will, because I'm a professional, unlike anyone <laughs> at who scored towers. Jonathan, Bournemouth against Liverpool for you. Well, I'm going for this to be a, a 38-12 win for Bournemouth, because <laughs> what's the point? Um... Yeah, Liverpool up to fifth now after that 7-0 win over United. Uh, three points behind Spurs with a game in hand. And given how Spurs are going, you imagine they will they will be able to catch that up. The only thing you'd say about them is that 34% of the goals they scored in the league this season have, have come in two games. And one of those two games was against Bournemouth in that home game. They they won 9-0. Uh, Bournemouth really struggling at the minute. Uh, one point from safety. Although I think there is a sense that their form has slightly improved. They've only taken four points in the last five games. It was a very late goal that beat them against Brighton. Uh, they got a draw against Newcastle. They won at Wolves and lost us to City and Arsenal. Uh, nothing to be ashamed of. I think the key for Liverpool recently with their, their upturn in form, the Real Madrid game excluded, 
is that they've kept five clean sheets in their own league. Um, and in its own way, I think that Real Madrid game was was as freakish as the United game that um, a lot of shots went in that day. Uh, Bournemouth got eight players out of doubtful. Liverpool, no Diaz, no Thiago. Doubts over Cater and Gomez. Uh, I've, got, I've got them to win 2 0. I'm going to go 3-1 to Liverpool. 3-0 to Liverpool. 3-0 to Liverpool. Ben, you've got Newcastle against Wolves. I'm, I'm just abandoning the order of the script. I've just gone to your, <laughs> gone to your fourth game. Just just out of sheer spite. Newcastle v Wolves for you, Ben. I might just start on a completely different game and then <laughs> take it from there. Uh, Newcastle unable to bounce back from their disappointing Carabao Cup. Lost to Manchester United last weekend. So they lost 2-0 to Manchester City. Magpies are now winless in five. Only scored two goals in that run to slip four points off the top four. Uh, the Magpies are unbeaten in three at home against Sunday's Brent's Wolves, and Eddie Howe will seek to maintain that record without Ryan Fraser, Emil Kraft, and Joe Linton. The latter absent owing to a ban, while Fabian Shah is to be assessed after he suffered a light concussion in the Carabao Cup final. Wolves ended a three-game winless run with a 1-0 victory over Tottenham last weekend. They required an inspired Jose Saar to secure a massive three points. They've collected just 10 points from 13 away matches this season, though nine of those have come in their last seven games on the road. Julian Lepetegi is unable to call upon Sasha Kaladzic, Diego Costa, Chiquino and Hugo Bueno for Sunday's trip to St. James's Park, but Bubakar Traore and Huang Hee Chan may be available for selection. Pedro Neto made his first start since September against Spurs last weekend and his return to fitness is a huge boost for Wolves, while Adama Traore scored the winner in that game and is pushing for a start. However, I think this one will end one all. I'm going to go for 1-0 to Newcastle. Jonathan? Yeah, start 1-0 to Newcastle. 1-0 to Newcastle. Jonathan, you've got Leeds v Brighton next. Oh, th- thank you for, for keeping the order for me. You've, you've done nothing wrong, Jonathan. Oh, that's very kind. Uh, Leeds, um, fourth bottom level with with Everton, uh, who are third bottom. So they're still in big trouble. Uh, they only won of the last 12, uh, and, and critically, they've, they've failed to score in five of the last seven. Uh, only two of those games have been under Javi Gracia um, after he succeeded Jesse Marsh. Uh, and under Gracia, they've won one game, one nil. They've lost game, one, game, one game, one nil. Uh, I think there has been a sense that at least they're slightly tight with the back under him. Uh, Brighton in, in, in great form, uh, definitely eyeing European football. They've won seven of the last 10 in all competitions. And in you know, bad news for Leeds, given how, how they're struggling to score, Brighton have only conceded two of the last five games. Um, Moda, Colwell, Lalana are out for Brighton. Tag Lamptey is a doubt. Uh, Leeds without Rodrigo, Dallas and Forshaw, and there's doubts of Sinister, Cooper and Bamford. Brighton won 1-0 at the Amex uh, this season, and I think they're going to repeat that. 1-0 to Brighton. Sorry, I've done a bit of a, a podcast throwback, a bit, a bit of a Josh Wright. I've been distracted look, by looking, looking, looking out, out the window. window. Because it's absolutely pelting it down with snow here, and I live on a, on a, like a new estate, so there's still houses being built. And the people still, are still working. I cannot, be- I cannot believe that they're there. Build, building houses there as well. See, that's that's the kind of work rate you're looking for, isn't it? <laughs> oh, where should we go for Ben now? He doesn't know where I'm going to go with this. Everton, Brentford, Ben. Can I just put my prediction to this? 2 0 to Brighton. We're still doing Oh, sorry. 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 I was looking out the window. Uh, predictions. <laughs> You've gone 2 0 Brighton. What was Jonathan? I said 1 0 Brighton. 1 0 to Brighton. 2 1 to Brighton. <laughs> That's a nice noise. Um, ben, I was going to go Everton-Brentford, but now I'm going to go Crystal Palace-Man City for you. Uh, Crystal Palace has won no loss at Aston Villa last week, extended their winners run to nine games. The Eagles are the only team yet to win a Premier League game in 2023, and Patrick Vieira's side are slipping towards the relegation zone. While they do remain five points above the bottom three, that gap will narrow if they continue to slide. Jake Ducore sorry, is suspended for Palace following his second half red card at Aston Villa last week. 
While Nathan Ferguson and Sam Johnston remain out, though neither player would have started fit. Manchester City made it four wins from their last five with a routine 2-0 victory over Newcastle last weekend to remain in the coattails of legally disastrous. They're in action Saturday night, so we'll seek to put pressure on the Gunners with another three points at Selhurst Park. City are unbeaten on their last eight trips to the Palace and have kept a clean sheet in five of their last six in South London. Phil Phone is the only injury concern for Pep Guardiola for the weekend's game and the England international will be assessed ahead of this one. Uh, I think Palace's poor record in 2023 will continue with City to win 2-0. 2-0. I'm going to go 2-1 Man City. Jonathan? 2-0. 2-0 to, to Man City, yep. Yeah. I mean, Chet Decore should be banned for as many games as Bubakar Kamara is injured for Aston Villa. That's how I believe the rules should be applied. John gets Chelsea. Uh, that's the fifteenth, um, and they, they had seemed to be uh, to be on an upward curve with wins over Villa and Spurs. We've lost three in a row since then, losing to United when they actually played all right for sort of twenty minutes half an hour that game. Now a defeat to Arsenal. Nothing too much to worry about there, but the defeat to Southampton, I think, would be worrying. Even if they, they, they probably think they are, well, the XG suggests they are the better of that game, as well as winning 1 0, Southampton did miss a penalty. Um, uh, Chelsea uh, sort of floating around mid table before Tuesday, they only scored five goals in 14 this season. Uh, Tuesday was the first time against Dortmund, was the first time it scored two in a game this year. They've only had three away wins all season. Um, but let's have a second worst defence in the league. So uh, against Chelsea, you have a sixth worst attack. Uh, that, that, that might be just what they need to, to open the floodgates. Uh, however, I don't think it's it's going to be high scoring. Chelsea won 2-1 at the bridge. I've got them to win this one 1-0. I'm going to go for 1-1, Ben. 1-0 to Chelsea as well. Right then, Ben. Everton v Brentford. Everton were twice pegged back by Nottingham Forest at the City Ground on Sunday as they shared the spoils in a two-all draw Steve Cooper side. The stalemate extended the Toffees' winners run to three matches and they remain in the relegation zone, albeit on goal difference only. Sean Dyche could welcome three players back into the fold for Saturday's welcome to Brentford with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Nathan Patterson and Vitali Michaelenko all close to a return to fitness, but Andros Townsend is absent for the home side. Brentford and the West London bragging rats on Monday night as they beat Fulham 3-2 to extend their unbeaten run to 12 matches. With the European spot in their sights, Thomas Frank will be keen to keep the streak going at Everton's expense. Thomas Strakosha is the only confirmed absentee for Frank for Brentford's trip to Goodison Park, though he was unlikely to have featured a fit anyway. And the Beast Boss has plenty of options all across the pitch. Brentford won this game last season, and another win to extend their unbeaten streak wouldn't be a surprise. And I believe Brentford will win 2 1. 2 1. I'm going to go 3 0 Brentford. Jonathan? 1 1. 1 1. Quiz question. Who knows who the last manager was to beat Thomas Frank's Brentford in the Premier League? No, it was the stand in for Gerard between Gerard and Emery. Aaron Danks. Aaron Danks was the last manager to win in the Premier League against Thomas Frank's Brentford. What did you say, Jonathan? Did you I know said Emery. So I remember. I remember it was Villa, but I, I uh, okay. I'd um, forgotten the. I'd forgotten the Danks in the Regnum. Nah, yeah, <laughs> that's what we do. The, the the two games won a game four 0 lost a game four 0 Peak Villa. Uh, you've it's got just... Villa now, Jonathan. West Ham against Villa. Yeah, West Ham in in real bother in in this big relegation fight we, we, we've been talking about. <laughs> They're only one point off relegation zone. They've only won two of the last 12. Um, the 4 0 win over Forest, where yeah, they got four goals in, in less than 20 minutes, that was immediately offset by a 4 0 defeat to Brighton when the, the fans really turned on on, 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 on Moyes and on the side. Um, they've got the Compton League away tonight against Ike of Larnaca in Cyprus, uh, which is never easy to come back from that to, to a Sunday game. Uh, Villa. Having let in 11 in, in three straight defeats, have had wins against Everton and Crystal Palace with clean sheets. I think there's been a conscious tightening up there. 
that's been hugely significant. Um, a lot of injuries to both sides. Coutinho, Diego Carlos, Dendonka, Bivigal Camaro, all out for Villa. Fabianski, Kufal, Antonio, Karen, Corne. Fabianski's out, the others are all doubts for West Ham. Uh, West Ham won this 1-0 at Villa Park. And I think they might just have enough to do the same here. So I'm going to say West Ham to win 1-0. Well, they're up against Villa, who've got the joint best away record since Unai Emery has come in. So I'm going to say Villa are going to win 2-1. Ben? 1-0. Uh, 1-0. There you go. Nice spread. There, Ben, your final game is your beloved Tottenham Hotspur against Nottingham Forest. Uh, Tottenham have been poor of late, losing four of the last seven, though all four of those losses came away from home. Back on home turf, Spurs have won their last three in the league and kept a clean sheet in victories over Manchester City, West Ham and Chelsea. However, with Antonio Conte back in the dugout, there isn't much hope for a rejuvenated North London side for Saturday's welcome in Nottingham Forest, as was proved against AC Milan on Wednesday night. Uh, Conte is again without injured quartet Hugo Lloris, Yves Basuma, Rodrigo Bentico and Ryan Sessegnon, but Eric Dyer returns from a midweek ban having missed the Champions League welcome facing Milan. Nottingham Forest were able to extend their home unbeaten into nine matches as they twice came from behind to draw 2-2 with Everton. However, their waveform has been far from impressive with Steve Cooper overseeing just one victory on the road in 22-23. Cooper is without no fewer than eight players for Saturday's trip to Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, sorry, including first-row centre-backs Scott McKenna and Willie Bolly. Dean Henderson is among those ruled out, though Caelor Navis is a more than capable stand-in. Forrest do have the worst away record in the division, and it remains to be seen whether they will win here, but I think they will get a draw and it will finish one all. 2-0 Spurs. I'm going to go 2-0 to Spurs as well, I think. Not that it matters because we've got no league table anymore. And that is the end of the podcast. Not forever, but hopefully not forever, but the end for this week's edition of the Edge of the Box podcast. Thanks ever so much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on so you know exactly when our next video is coming. Thanks to Jonathan Wilson for joining us on today's podcast. I'm not going to thank you, Ben, because quite frankly, you've ruined my Thursday by binning the predictions league. As I say, we'll be back next week. Enjoy all the weekend's football and as ever, stay safe.